I got the more high-tech notes from my dad. So, I have been praying. My dad asked me to, to share a few weeks before I came home, and I was praying about what to share. And so, of course, I was at School of Worship when he asked me, and going through these classes, I was like, you know, School of Worship really changed my perception of what worship is, so I'll share on worship, because that's something that has recently really struck me and changed my heart. So <clears throat> I thought I would share on, on worship. Um, and, and one of the first things that um, they asked us when we got to school of worship, they said, what? Uh, well, we got to the class and this guy gave us a piece of paper and, and on one side it said praise and on one side it said worship. And he said, what's the difference between praise and worship? Mm-hmm. And so we're all sitting there. <laughs> None of us knew each other. We're just like, okay. I was thinking about it. I was like, what is the difference between praise and worship? You know, that's, that's something we, we hear a lot in church. Praise, worship, have a time of praise, have a time of worship. Praise the Lord, worship the Lord. Like, these are two words that we use interchangeably in church. Uh, but when we read scripture, there's a, there's a pretty distinct difference between the two. And that's something that we've kind of strayed from, and I had strayed from before I went to school worship, that I had just kind of used them both in the same way. Not really seeing that there's a big difference between the two um, you know a lot of people think praise is the happy upbeat fast songs and worship is like the more like lift your hands up like pray, solemn songs uh, the slow ones and the quiet ones um, but in the word of God we see praise uh, is the word that's associated with with music with singing uh, Judges 5.3 says, Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing. I will make a melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Um, and when David is organizing the Levites in First Chronicles 23.5, he says, 4,000 gatekeepers and 4,000 shall offer praises to the Lord with instruments that I have made for praise. Um, Psalm 51.15 says, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Um, and Psalm 69.30 says, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. And the Hebrew word for praise is yada, uh, which means to sing, celebrate, thank, or triumph. So praise, what we did before the service, that's this time of, of overflow, of, of joy and celebration of all that God has done for us. Uh, when we sing songs like Jesus Messiah, where it's his body, the bread, his blood, the wine, broken and poured out all for love. We're praising God for his sacrifice. We're thanking him for loving us to the point of dying for us. And when we sing songs uh, like nothing can silence our love, we won't hold back the praises from our heart. We do that because he's turned our mourning to dancing. He saved us. And, and that's what praises. It's the overflow of, of joy and celebrating God's mercy um, and sending his son to atone for us. And we praise God for um, his blessings and his divinity. We think of that old hymn, the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. We praise God for his blessings. We praise God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We praise him for his divinity. Um, so what we just did before the service, that was praising the Lord. Um, and so if that's praising, then what is worship? So what's the difference? Um, does anybody, just throw a question out there, does anybody know the first place in the Bible where worship is used? Anybody have any idea? Because when they asked me this, I had no idea. So don't feel like you should know. I had, I had no idea. Okay. Worship is first used in Genesis 22. 
Yeah. So why don't you guys turn with me to Genesis 22. We'll read this. This is where we're going to spend most of our time. Uh, it says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I should tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose, and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship, and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife... So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son or your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as of the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall be all the nations of shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived in Beersheba. Um, so to kind of understand the significance of this, um, we see that the the chapter starts with after these things. So it kind of requires a bit of a going back and a bit of a setup. Um, so if we look in Genesis 17. Uh, 15 through 21, we see that God gives Abraham a promise of inheritance. Um, and it says, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you will not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become great nation. She shall become nations. Uh, kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? Um, and so in this moment, God is, is promising this huge blessing to Abraham. Um, and, and when he says uh, that I'll bless you, like the one thing that, that Abraham was desiring was a son. That was... That was what he didn't have, and that was like his his one 
uh, main desire, what was on his heart. Uh, and think if, if God, was, if you were in that position and you had that one desire, that one thing that you've always wanted and God had promised to bless you with that, uh, that was the position that Abraham found himself in. Um, and this was a promise that was against all the odds because we see that um, Abraham was 100 and, and Sarah was 90 years old. So this was just entirely God giving this miracle uh, to them. Um, and, and in Genesis 21, 1 through 7, we see God fulfilling that promise um, <clears throat> that he made to Abraham. Um, and the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Um, and so that was the son that he had longed for his whole life. He finally had. God had uh, visited Sarah as he had said he would. Um, and this was everything that Abraham had wanted. It was, it was his dream, his, his desire. And now in 22, he's in this place where God has called Abraham to sacrifice this son, his delight, and, and ultimately Abraham's future because um, Isaac was the one that would carry on the inheritance, carry on the name. So he's, God's asking Abraham to sacrifice everything, like give it all back. And like if we think about that one thing that, that one desire that we had, if we were to finally get that, and then God said to give it back. Like that, that's the, the place Abraham found himself in. And, and a lot of the things that we think about, we didn't have to wait a whole lifetime for. Uh, but that's what Abraham uh, was in. And, and this is where we see the first mention of the word worship in verse 5. Uh, where it says, Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And so in this place uh, where Abraham found himself in, there is no music or singing or melodies. There's no hymns or sitting or standing or hands lifted high or hands in your lap. Um, in this place, worship was a painful, humbling heart-wrenching obedience to the call of God. That's, that's where we see what worship is, the first mention of the word. And it was God saying, Abraham, I've given you everything you've desired. I've given you this one thing that you wanted, uh, this, this thing that you've longed for. Now give it back. And, and Abraham responded in worship by ignoring his own desires, and his own will, and his own wants and needs by following the Lord and being obedient to him. Um, one of the books I got to read at School of Worship is, is a book called Worship Matters. And the author, Bob Coughlin, says, Worship isn't just an opportunity to use my musical gifts. It's more than a heightened emotional experience or a way to make a living. It's more than what we do on Sunday morning. Uh, worship is about what we love, what we live for. It's about who we are before God. And so let's, let's think of this as, as a church, as a family, um, what this means for us, because, um, you know, we have allowed worship to be 
the 30 minutes before a service. And, and not just us, but like the church as a whole. We've allowed worship to become this thing where it's just singing a couple songs before the service or after the service. Um, and we've kind of watered down what the definition of worship is and allowed ourselves to get away from it. Um, but the Bible has shown us that that worship is is so much more than just music. It's it's so much more than singing. And while that does have a place in church, that's that's the smallest part of what worship is. Um, and so the question that I had to ask myself when I went to the school of worship, and I'm going to ask you guys is, are you guys worshiping the Lord? Because um, it's easy to, to come to a place um, like this and during those songs to feel something emotional or to feel connected with God and then go through the service and then leave and, and not worship God all week. And... Um, It's also um, no coincidence that in this chapter, not only is it the first time the word worship is used, but it's the first time that the word love is used in in verse 2. So to try and make this as easy as possible, my teacher in California shared this analogy that really struck my heart and, and made it so easy to understand worship. And he shared this analogy of this little child who paints this picture for his mom. And you like see pictures that kids draw, you pick it up and you don't even know what it is. But they're so happy, they give you this thing and, and it's full of love. They've spent time and, and devoted their energies to drawing out whatever this thing is and they give it to the mom. And, and that is just this beautiful picture of this kid is giving you this thing that you know there's no skill really in it, there's no beauty in the picture itself but the beauty is in the child giving it to you. But then, uh, on the other hand, there's this man who writes these intricate poems and love songs and does all these wonderful things, but then the next day goes out and cheats on his wife. So the difference, um, that's, that's what worship is. You know, it's, they both produced something. They both, they both gave something. We can all sing something to God. But which one of those was really out of Love. Which one of those was really worship and adoration? You know, the the man can give something that's skillful and and amazing by our standards, but if he goes out and cheats on his wife, then the the that's meaningless. Those those letters and those poems mean nothing. But the child paints this picture that's you know just lines and scribbles and stuff. But the heart behind it is that he just wants to give something to his mom and bless his mom. Um, and so that's, that's what worship is. And the thing that, that gives worth to the gift is the way that, that the child and the man was living their lives. That's what, that's what gives the definition of what they're giving. Um, one verse that has been huge this past year is, is Romans 12.1, which you guys can turn there. It's a pretty awesome verse. Romans 12, 1 says, um, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so again, worship isn't music or being led to 
connect on an emotional level because of rhythm or anything like that. Um, that is more towards praise, which does have a place in church and is absolutely necessary. Um, but here we see what worship is. Um, worship is giving yourself to God, offering yourself to God, everything from your plans, your hopes, your desires, your future, your dreams, your will, um, offering yourself to God and being a living sacrifice to God, giving it all back to Him. Um, and if our worship begins and ends on Sunday, we need to check our hearts because something's wrong. Like, that's, that's not worship. Um, Billy Graham once said, um, the highest form of worship is the worship of unselfish Christian service. The greatest form of praise is the sound of consecrated feet seeking out the lost and helpless. So worship is, is not what we sing, it's what we do. It's how we live for God. That's how we worship Him. Um, and, and in this verse it says, offering yourselves as a living sacrifice. And I was thinking about why it's a living sacrifice. And that's because it's something that's continual. Like that's when they, back in the day when they would sacrifice, they would sacrifice, the animal would be killed, and that would be it, it'd be done, they'd be atoned. But a living sacrifice, it's continual. Um, it's constant. Uh, it's every minute and every second. And, and our flesh is not willing to place itself on the altar of sacrifice to be done away with by the Lord's hand. That's not something that we desire to do. Like, it's not like we're just going to be like, okay, today I'm going to deny myself and I'm going to follow you. Like, that's, it's a sacrifice. And um, practice, practically, this means uh, worship uh, is constant and consistently uh, sp spending time in prayer. That's aligning our will with His and bringing Him into every aspect of our lives. That's denying ourselves and, and, and bringing His will in. It means spending time in his word, uh, which is putting to death uh, the work of the flesh and, and feeding the, the fruit of the spirit in our lives. Um, in, in Timothy, we're called to, to raise up holy hands in prayer, but last week I was thinking about it, <clears throat> and I was thinking about that verse, that verse was going through my head, uh, raising up holy hands in prayer. And, and I see, you know, can we really lift up our hands to God, holy hands to God, if they've been down in the muck in the week in between? Like, um, you know, in, in Leviticus, we see that the standard for sacrifice was a lamb without blemish. And that was what God deemed as a, the perfect and, and spotless sacrifice. So, you know, we're called to do the same thing but, you know, I've seen so many people come, and, and myself come into worship and lifting up hands to God. And, you know, it looks outwardly like we're worshiping. It looks like we're praising God. But, you know, on the in-between, our lives are so far from worship. Uh, and that's, it, it's basically like we're offering to God the, a, a spotted, um, unperfect, deformed sacrifice by lifting up our own filthy hands to God. Um, and and we, we have made worship to be easy. Um, we've made it so that we can come 
by, by blurring the lines between praise and worship, we've made it so that we can come to a place and, and worship God for 30 minutes and walk out and, and live life. And, you know, even if we are following the Lord, uh, maybe not in complete surrender or having <coughs> sin in our lives. Like, we've made it easy to worship God, but worship is so hard. Like, we see Abraham in, in Genesis 22. That wasn't easy for him. Like, worship was painful. It was, it was his world he was sacrificing. And it was hard. It wasn't easy for him to give his son, and it wasn't easy for him to get up early in the morning to go do it or um, to make the hike up there with his son uh, without his son knowing what was happening. Um, it wasn't easy to gather wood um, with him or to bind him and place him on the altar. And it definitely wasn't easy for him to raise the knife ready to give his son away. But that was what worship was. Um, that was saying, God, you're worth all of it. You're worth the sacrifice and the pain that I may feel having lost my son or <clears throat> the pain that I feel now is, is far surpassed by the joy that I'll find in my relationship with you. And so that's, that's worship. Um, and if, if worship, worship is an easy choice, um, I would challenge you to, to consider if, if it's truly worship. Because worship is, is difficult. It goes against our, our flesh. It goes against who we are. It's, it's sacrificing and humbling and obedient to God. And that's, that's against our nature. So if worship is easy, then there's something that's, that's definitely off because worship involves the death of our flesh. And that's not something that just happens um, with, with no care. It's, it's, it's painful. Um, Mark 8, 34 um, says, And when he had called the people to him with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life shall lose it, and whoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. Um, and so denying ourselves is hard and taking up our cross and following Jesus is even harder. Um, so practically in our lives, what does that mean? It means maintaining self-control when someone gets angry and yells in your face or when we're in our jobs and, and customers can just be a pain. It means just serving them and, and remaining patient and, and humble. Uh, it, means, it means loving people who have never shown the same in response. Um, it means just being obedient to, to follow the Lord. And um, even when it's hard, that's, that's what worship is. And, and when you do that, um, it means countless measures to the Lord more than singing a song. That's, that's the sacrifice that God is looking for from us as a church. He's not looking for a song um, he's looking for us to be obedient to him in, in worship um, and so for me as as the worship leader here the way that I judge if if I'm being effective in leading worship um, is 
is by what I see when we all walk out the doors. Like, you know, I've been through through Bible college and school of worship, and in both I've seen countless people in in times of worship look like they're <coughs> worshiping. Like you've seen the people with like their hands up and you know maybe getting teary eyed and 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 they seem like they're connecting with God, but then they walk out and they're just in sin or they're disobedient and and they're just living lives contrary to what that time was saying their life was. Um, And so when you walk out of those doors, does your life validate what happened inside the doors? Um, Does the way you live validate the way that you praise God before the service? Our, our singing doesn't validate our worship, um, but our lives validate our worship, and our worship validates our love. Um, Richard Forrester once said, as worship begins in holy expectancy, it ends in holy obedience. Holy obedience saves worship from becoming an opiate, an escape from the pressing needs of modern life. Um, and so that's bringing it back to Abraham. That's what Abraham had done in, in holy obedience. He heard the Lord calling him to sacrifice his son. And in holy obedience, he did it. And he followed through. And he didn't delay and he didn't um, try and change God's mind. He just did it. And in spite of the pain or his own confusion of, of maybe not understanding. He just trusted God. And he said, God, you know, I, I'm going to trust you in this. You have a plan. You know what you're doing. And his worship was putting action on that trust by doing what God had told him to do. Um, and it's something that I was reading in that, about that section, Genesis 22, was that Abraham was having to learn the difference between trusting the promise that God had given him and trusting the promiser. So Abraham wasn't trusting, okay, God said that he'd give me the son, and now he's saying give it back. I don't know what to do. I'm so confused. Ah. He, He was trusting that God had given him the son in the first place, and he was trusting that he was the promiser, that he had good things planned for him. And that trust and obedience led to worship. And so... Um, you know, I would challenge you guys um, this week to to worship God. Um, maybe in a way that we've never worshipped God before. Looking for for ways to make our, our praise and our worship more than 30, 45 minutes on a Sunday. Um, to bring it out. Um, to be obedient to him and to, to look for uh, a way to worship him. And I know that if we if we were to spend time in prayer, we would know what it is that we're supposed to do to worship him. Like it's not it's not gonna be a hard choice. Like God'll God'll show us if we if we ask him, if we if we pray and say, Lord, I just want to worship you. How can I be obedient to you? How can I surrender to you? Um, how can I serve you? Um, he'll he'll tell you. Um, and, and more importantly, I challenge you every day this week to start 
uh, your day by praying that God would show you how to worship Him that day. Um, to worship Him through your choices and actions. Uh, and I guarantee that if you spend this week worshiping Him daily, when we get together next Sunday, our time of worship and our time of praise will be radically different. It's going to have meaning and weight. It's going to be um, like the child who who just gave his everything, painting that picture to give to his parent. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a blessing to God. And that's what worship is. And so, um, you know, that was the big lesson that I learned in California was that worship is so much more than songs and so much more than praising God. That's the smallest part of what worship is. Um, worship is how we live our lives. It's if we're being obedient to God. It's um, how we're serving Him. Um, and, and that was, you know, Genesis 22 was something that I had, I had always loved that chapter. And then I went to California and it gave it completely new meaning. Um, showing that Abraham showed what true worship was. Um, and so, yeah, I just encourage you guys, um, look to worship him this week. Um, because even in my own life, I have let worship and praise like start and end at church. But worship starts today and doesn't end. Like it just is ongoing. So yeah, just encourage you guys to, to really pray and, and ask the Lord to, to show you how to worship Him. Um, and when we get together next week, I'm sure that we'll all have some really cool stuff to share that God has, has really worked in us. Um, so yeah, we're finished a bit early, but let's, let's pray. God, I thank you, God, that you have um, given us much to be thankful for, that you've given us much to praise you for, Jesus. And, and Lord, we pray for forgiveness for um, diminishing worship, Lord, for making it easy, Lord, in my own life, for making worship an, an easy, flippant thing that I bring to you. Uh, but God, I pray that um, we would be sacrificing to you, Lord, God, that we would count the cost, that we would pick up our cross and follow you, Jesus, that we would put to death um, the works of our flesh, Jesus, and, and seek to serve you with everything, Lord. God, give us a heart for worship, Jesus, Lord, that as we walk out of these doors, that our, our eyes and our, our heart would be uh, looking for ways to worship you in our actions, Lord, in, in how we relate to others, God, in how we respond to people. Uh, Jesus, our... Our desire is to praise you and, and worship you, God. You've been so good to us. Lord, so teach us um, to worship you this week, Lord. Uh, God, we just thank you, Lord, and we love you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.